You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You sang like you knew that one. We do kick off our sermon series on the solas of the Reformation beginning uh, this Sunday with sola scriptura, scripture alone. And we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is on page 4 in your bulletin or on page 996 in your pew Bibles. And we see there Paul talking to Timothy, his protege, about the importance of not only being rooted in God's word, but preaching in God's word. This is Paul's last letter to Timothy. In fact, it's the last thing that he would write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be included in the New Testament. And so this is his last and will and testament to Timothy. And what he has to say is really important. And so as he draws the letter to a close, he begins to focus on, these are my last words to you, Timothy, and here's what I want you to know. I want you to know what the nature of the Bible is, but I also want you, looking at chapter 4, verse 2, I want you to preach the Word. I don't want you just to preach about the Bible. I want you to preach the Bible. And so he draws out in just these couple verses three points about the Bible this morning. One, the nature of the Bible. Two, the ultimate aim of the Bible. And three, the activity of the Bible. Well, the nature of the Bible is not just that it's any old book. It's not just a listing of experiences that people have had with God for our edification. But as our articles say, that the Bible is God's word. Or actually, more specifically, the way that they say it is that it is God's word written. The reformers and we today believe what the Bible taught and that God did speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through men to write his own words. This is what Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 21. It wasn't a validation of human words by God. It wasn't as if Paul wrote this letter and God looked down and said, that's pretty good, I'm going to put my name on it. No, but in fact, what does Paul say here? That all scripture is... God breathed, that it's breathed out by God. And the New Testament writers, like those of old in the Old Testament, who said, hear the word of the Lord, or declared the word of the Lord, they too understood what they were writing as God's word. Now, of course, the scriptures that Paul talks about here, continuing in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Paul here is talking about the Old Testament. But Paul also understands what he's writing as the Word of God. And I can give you any number of New Testament references. 1 Corinthians 14.37, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 2 Peter 3.16. 
Uh, the bottom line is, is that the early church, and even the church today, as we ought, believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Full stop. It is our authority. Uh, it's from which uh, we derive what we know about God and even what we know of ourselves. But I don't think that the question today for Christians is whether or not the Bible is authoritative. But is it sufficient? You've probably heard of the three-legged stool approach where scripture, tradition, and reason all make up individual legs of a stool and they're all considered of equal value because if you have one leg longer than the other two, uh, you've got a real problem on your hands unless you happen to live on a hill. I thought that was funny. So, uh, and that is often attributed to Richard Hooker, the 17th century Anglican theologian. But let me tell you here and now, let's dispel this myth. Richard Hooker never talked about it. Hooker never said a thing about scripture, tradition, and reason being all on the same plane of equal authority. Now, funny enough, when people begin to talk about this 20th century inve invention, they don't say that scripture's not in authority. They just say that it's one of many authorities that we have to discern what God is saying to us. And I would actually, in the 20th century, in our day and age, add a fourth, not just scripture, tradition, and reason, but in the world in which we live in today, probably the most dominant source of authority, even in the church, is experience. Is our own human experience. Now the problem is, is that none of us here, even those who believe that the Bible is the word of God, can help but look at the Bible through all or any of those lenses. It's just the way that we're wired. So we may be actually having a biblical argument about something and inevitably we'll begin to bring in tradition. Things like, well, the early church fathers said this. Or we'll begin to reason it out and say, well, here's what we've got going on here and think about it reasonably. Or we'll say, in my own experience, this is what I've said and done. And so it's impossible to discard all of those. But we have to remain steadfast to the biblical truth that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. That again, the Bible is not a testimony to the experiences of individuals or in groups, their experience of God. Because if it is, if it's just a record of how people have interacted with God through the years, then we have to take all of the scriptures with a grain of salt. After all, maybe the author got it wrong. Maybe they didn't hear God clearly. And this is precisely why some people want to believe it's simply a record of experience. They want the grain of salt. And that grain is often our own experience. Where our experience of God jives with the Bible's experience, therein we have God's word for us today. But if it doesn't connect with us, those who build their faith simply on experience, or that's their sole source or primary source of authority, you can simply discard what the Bible has to say. As one of the neighbors put it, in the beginning God created man in his own image, and since then we've been trying to return the favor. Now some would want to even take it further, saying our experiences with God today are just as authoritative as the Bible of old. Indeed, God's revelation to us is continuing. 
The Bible is not the final authoritative word, but God continues to speak today, even to the point of contradiction. In my last parish, a staff member came into my office very excited, saying that we've got a real pastoral issue on our hands. There's a young woman sitting down in our narthex whose father has just committed suicide. And she's distraught, and she'd like to speak to one of the clergy. And so I've come to get you. And so as I began to pray to myself on the way of what in the world I might say to this distraught daughter who is grieving the loss of her father, the woman who had come to get me, the staff member, said to me, uh, well, I've already prayed with her, but I've also given her a word of hope and comfort. And I said, oh, that's great. What did you tell her? And she said, I told her that her father's death is not the end, but that he has three days after he's died to give himself over to the Lord Jesus Christ before judgment. And I stopped and I asked, where did you get that from? And she said, well, God gave me a word. God is not going to give you a word that contradicts his own word. And this is why Fitzsimmons Allison rightly said that heresy is cruel. Because here this woman is giving false hope to a grieving daughter. Because we know Hebrews tells us that it's appointed once for man to die and then judgment. Now that's not exactly a cheery word either. But I'd rather have the truth than to persist in a lie because if this girl opens up her Bible and she reads that from Hebrews, what is she going to think? She can either persist in a lie or be confronted with the truth of what God has to say about our final judgment. Now there are areas in the Bible in which we certainly can agree to disagree on. And sometimes it's really hard and it's subjective. I was dating a girl in college once and we broke up and a couple of months later she came to me and she said, but Andrew, I really feel like God is calling us to date again. And I said, well, he's not told me that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, how do you respond to that? It's completely subjective, right? The Bible really doesn't have anything to say to that. And so one, it's ludicrous for her to, uh, to say that. Uh, but, and we're married now. Uh, I'm just kidding, we're not. <laughs> and then two, uh, how do you really respond to that? But there are areas of the Bible which are not necessarily clear. You know, that's Mark Twain's great line. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand that bother me. But certainly, Christians who are faithful to God's word can disagree over any number of things, like baptism. The Bible said... Bible says that believers should be baptized. But there is a gray area that we've been fighting for years and years, if not centuries and centuries, uh, over who's to be baptized, adults or children of believers, and the mode which that baptism takes, because the Bible is not necessarily clear on those issues. And yet we still need to have those conversations rooted in the Word of God. But of course, we all need to be careful of looking for Bible verses that back up our own personal positions. We've got to allow the Bible to speak for itself. We have to allow the Word to do its work, which is the ultimate aim of the Scriptures. The ultimate aim of the Bible is to set forth Jesus Christ in all of His glory, is to set forth the message of salvation in Him. That is the ultimate aim of the Bible. 
This is why our articles say that the Bible contains all things necessary to salvation. If you read the Bible, you will find out what the problem is, sin, what the results are, alienation from God, and how we are reconciled to God, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how we have fellowship with Him by giving ourselves over to Him and believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and calling upon His name for salvation. But what we say, well, yes, I agree with that, Andrew. But that means that the Bible is only authoritative on matters of doctrine. Other areas, the Bible, we can just simply disregard. In fact, I've heard some people say, scriptures are not the authority. Jesus is the authority. We go to Jesus, not the Bible. Now that sounds really spiritual. But I'd ask that person, well, how is it that you come to know the Lord Jesus? Where do you go to find out about this Lord Jesus? How do you find out about him? You cannot know who Jesus is apart from the word of God. Where God has made himself fully known in Jesus, Jesus is made fully known in the Bible. We can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, only because we can add, for the Bible tells me so. And that's just it. That is the activity of the scriptures, the activity of the Bible, that we trust that the Holy Spirit of God is actually speaking to us, that we're transformed when we hear God's voice in his word. This is why on some Sundays we sing a lot of scripture. We, we Try to sing as much scripture as we possibly can. And in one of those instances, when we sing the second song of Isaiah, we declare, and this is a Bible verse from Isaiah, that the word goes out and accomplishes that for which God has purposed it, and it will not return void. So when God's word goes out, what does it do? It does that for which it was purposed for, and it does not return void. Now that doesn't mean that we don't encounter problems in understanding parts of the Bible. But where the Bible is clear, let it be clear. And above all things, it is exactly, and I mean it is crystal clear as to who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to do. Now Paul encourages Timothy here to abide to continue in what he has learned and believed. This stands in contrast to what Paul has said earlier in chapter 3 about those who are false teachers who go on in their untruths. I mean, this is the irony about moving along in the Christian faith. That as a Christian, you're to abide and continue in that which you have been taught in the Scriptures. But those who persist in error actually go on from bad to worse. So it's those who are in error that actually progress, or rather regress, where the Christian remains steadfast into what God has spoken to us. John Stott writes, this kind of summons is not infrequently heard in the pages of the New Testament. It is specifically relevant whenever innovators arise in the church, radicals who claim to be progressive, and who repudiate everything which savors of the traditional. 
It has perhaps never been more needed than today when men boast of inventing a new Christianity with a new theology and a new morality, all of which is betoken a new reformation. To be sure, the church of every generation must seek to translate the faith to the contemporary idiom, to relate the unchanging word to the changing world. But a translation is a rendering of the same message into another language. It is not fresh composition. Yet this is what some modern radicals are doing, setting forth concepts of God and of Christ which Jesus and his apostles would not have recognized as their own. I mean, this is what's so amazing about God's word. If you're putting your trust in experience or even your primary trust in experience, reason, or the traditions of the church, you're going to ultimately get it wrong. You're going to persist and you're going to keep going down the wrong path. It's going to go from bad to worse. Indeed, this was Luther's experience when he began to read God's word for the first time. In Luther's day, the Bibles had been translated into Latin from the Greek and Hebrew. And most priests in Luther's day could not read Latin. Which meant what? They could not read the Bible. Uh, they didn't know Latin. They certainly didn't know Greek and Hebrew. And so the Christian understanding of who God is and who we are was based on what? What the church told them. What tradition told them. Luther grew up being told that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And then he began to read the Bible for the first time and he was confused. Because the Bible says that God shows us mercy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are reconciled to God and adopted as his children by grace. Luther couldn't believe it. He felt that he had, had uncovered the greatest ruse in the history of the world. And it continues to be a lie of the devil perpetuated even today. But the great irony is that we don't need to learn Latin, Greek, or Hebrew. For we have un unfettered access to God's word. It's in fact there in front of you right now. It's the most purchased book in the world, but it's probably the least read. And so if we want to hear the voice of God, we can simply read our Bibles aloud to hear what God is saying to us. That is the activity of the Bible, that the Holy Spirit actually speaks to us through God's word and that he opens our eyes to just how beautiful Jesus is and how merciful and how wonderful a Savior he is. And apart from the word, we can't have that clear picture of who Jesus is. We can see him as a wonderful creator looking at the handiworks that declared the majesty of God. But how will we know unless someone tells us? This is why the cry of sola scriptura from the reformers was such a loud one. And why I'm crying it out today. Because of the nature of the Bible, that it's God-breathed, that it's God's authoritative word to us. That it, the ultimate aim of the scriptures is to show us Jesus and to point us to salvation in him, that we might throw ourselves wholly upon his mercy and grace. 
And finally, the activity of the scriptures, trusting that the Holy Spirit will actually speak to us God's word when we go into the scriptures and read for ourselves. As Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, here it is. It was just some simple monk reading the Bible for the first time in his life that God sparked a reformation that would change the face of the earth. And we sit here today as a testimony to that great work that God wrought 500 years ago. But more than that, as a declaration of God's word to us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we trust in you and we pray that even when we struggle uh, with your word that we would understand it as your word and that we would understand that the confusion comes not from your word but from our sinful minds and hearts and so Lord that you would cut through the fog that we might be able to see you clearly when we encounter you in your word and that above all we might seek the face of your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.